Hello and welcome back to Pastoral Parsha. I'm Hody Nemus, a third-year rabbinical student at YCT Rabbinical School. And I'm Michelle Friedman, Chair of Pastoral Counseling at YCT. In each episode of this podcast, we explore psychological insights gleaned from the Torah portion of the week. We also share with listeners concepts and techniques that we teach in the Pastoral Counseling Program at YCT. Our goal there is to integrate Torah wisdom together with understandings and techniques from modern psychology. This week's Parsha is Parshat Shofti, chapter 16, verse 18, through chapter 21, verse 9 of the Book of Devarim. And the theme we'd like to cover today is public shaming. And as we do in these podcasts, we like to use a story of some kind, um, a fictional vignette that's culled from real life experiences that either I've had with psychiatric consultations or that rabbis in the field call me up about. And we hope that the stories help bring the theme that we selected into a vivid imagery for you, the listener, to connect to. So the story we're going to use today is about a fictional character who we're calling David Brown. And David is a successful orthopedic surgeon. He's married and he's the father of three young adult children. And he's been the longtime respected member of his synagogue community. But recently, David has been indicted for felony charges as part of an OxyContin procurement and distribution ring. He has a lawyer, his case is pending, he's not currently practicing medicine as he's spending all his time preparing his case, but he does come to synagogue services and Jewish community events. A particularly sensitive issue is that the Brown family recently made a major pledge to the capital campaign that is needed to rebuild the crumbling synagogue sanctuary. People in the community are wildly divided in their responses to this. Some people want David and his family banned from the synagogue altogether. Others want nothing to do with what they call dirty money. On the other hand, some people say, well, innocent until proven guilty. And also that the money, which is already there, may as well be used for a good purpose. So our Parsha is all about how to handle a society and misbehavior in that society. Really, Shoftim is it's sort of setting up a constitution and you might even say a, a CSI for the new Israelite nation, right? How do you have a well-functioning government and a well-functioning justice system? So we learn about several things related to the justice system, about seeking legal counsel in Jerusalem, about cities of refuge for manslaughter and the rules against giving false testimony. Um, Finally, there's the Egla Arufa, which is the ritual for dealing with essentially a John Doe murder victim uh, that the entire society is involved in. And also there's a great deal of material about the king, about kingship. So a lot of material around governing. And one of the major lessons we take from this Parsha is the idea of deterrence. So around idol worship and also around listening to the, the, uh, the priests in Jerusalem, we're going to hear the following. In chapter 17, verses 12 and 13, 
If a person should act presumptuously and disregard the priest charged with serving there, the Lord your God, or the magistrate, that man shall die, and thus you will sweep out evil from Israel. And all the people will hear and be afraid and will not act presumptuously again. And that phrase, Viarta Haram Israel, you will sort of root out the evil in Israel, that comes up many times in the book of Devarim. And it's always in this sense of uh, perhaps acting as a deterrence, showing that you're taking the, the, the evil part of your society and you're sweeping it away. And the hope seems to be that others will hear and will take a lesson from it. Right, so here we have a repetitive situation where people get into trouble in some way. In our vignette, it's as though the idolatry of the modern time is this craving for money or power or whatever it is that motivates uh, our orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Brown, to behave in an immoral and a criminal way. So is banning him, is shaming him, going to be an effective deterrent? Hmm. Is shaming him going to be an effective deterrent? So I would imagine that whether or not it will be effective, that is going to be a very strong desire for people in the community, right? What's causing that? Why do we want to shame him? Why do we want to eject him? Well, you know, I think it's actually the, the intensity of that. And I'm assuming, let's assume that people have not, although may, people may have been, personally affected by, this is not a personal revenge situation, let's say, where um, some of the people in the community were not directly impacted by the drug distribution. Although personal revenge is another kind of motive. But when you see that somebody who has been on a pedestal has done something really bad, there often is this intense uh, bandwagon to try to pull him down. And I think we're, you're asking, like, why is that? Why is it that people are so, uh, there, there's almost a kind of um, hunger to uh, see the clay feet of people who were once very powerful? So my layman's intuition, tell me if this is grounded in psychological insight, <laughs> but is that people, by saying, you are evil, you did bad, they're able to say, but I am, I am good. I That's right. I think it's a way of distancing the uh, unpleasant impulses that we may have inside ourselves. We may never act on them. We might not even be conscious of them. But it's, it's somehow, I think, makes people feel safer to say, oh, that person's bad, I would never do that. And to sort of mobilize their, the, their, their frenzy into punishing that bad person, almost as a way of kind of ostracizing, banishing the evil impulse from their midst. Wow. So, uviarta hara milibecha, like, you will, by doing this, you're going to push out the evil from your own heart, not just from the community. Right, and I think the Torah understands that this impulse is there in all humans, yes. and we're, rec we're wrestling with how to deal with it. Right. So getting into that whole situation of, does public shaming actually work? And it's a really touchy question, because 
shame really is about lowered sense of self in a society. And if you feel concerned about your social position, you're going to behave, at least publicly, to some degree that, of course, goes into the private, in ways that are not going to subject you to a shame status. Right. And, and you're saying, essentially, that for those people in the community who maybe don't feel moral qualms about, you know, uh, committing fraud, let's say, yeah. if they're afraid of being shamed, they may still avoid committing fraud because they, they don't want to lose their status. Right. And just making this kind of broader, I think it's important to recognize that there's a real tension here that in any kind of society, and one that is a conservative society or a closed society even more, shame has a powerful social function. Of course, the problem is that it can be, it can hypertrophy, it can overgrow, and it can become cruel and extraordinarily damaging. So let's talk in that vein about David himself. What are the sort of, what's his psychological experience? Well, we don't moments? know. You know, I mean, we can, we of course are only hypothesizing. We're hypothesizing about a fictional character. But we've known many characters who might fit into this profile. So it's, in a way, you can think about what's the difference between humiliation and shame. They're used interchangeably. But I think for our purposes, we can look at it as humiliation. You feel bad that other people are looking down on you. Shame, I think, is more, we look at it as a more internal sense that you feel bad that you are lowered in the, like, uh, to be humiliated is sort of like you get angry at that person. Shame is sort of a more internal, dark, bad feeling. And guilt, in contrast, is I've done something wrong. Like, maybe nobody knows about it, but I feel guilty. And, and I have to share at this point something that a supervisor of mine helped me with many years ago, trying to keep it straight between guilt and shame. And he said, think about Nathaniel Hawthorne's novel, The Scarlet Letter. Because Hester Prynne, the woman who has had this child out of wedlock and has to wear the scarlet A, she has to deal with shame because she is publicly exposed, humiliated, and feels bad about it in her Puritan community. But the father of the child, who you don't know about to the very end, and nobody knows who it is, he has to deal with his guilt, that internal sense of sin, of wrongdoing, that is different than shame. And while this might seem like, you know, I don't know, parsing words, it's important to think about in dealing with these really powerful emotions. So as a society, would we like people to feel one of these three that you just mentioned, humiliation, shame, or guilt? I think we want them to feel some of it. I think it's an important way to uh, help register actions, and it's, it, 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 it functions. I mean, yes, maybe ideally we would like people to do things out of a real sense of moral uh, motivation, wanting to do the right thing and to be the best person possible. That would be more the guilt. Right. We would we would like to, in an ideal world, we would have kind of an aspirational way of living. But that we, we, we are humans. And I yeah. think we all need or function with some doses of humiliation, shame, and guilt. So let's talk about the, the, the story. The, the community, right? Yeah. You know, so David Brown's community is, I'm sure there's a board meeting where they're discussing mm -hmm. what do we do? Does he get Elias? Does he, can he even be in shul? How do they thread the needle? 
for right. their community. Well, I think that, um, once again, there's a balance between seeing a synagogue community as a place where every Jew can be in some way. Um, in, a, in a situation in our particular story, this isn't a story, for example, of somebody who has been physically assaultive or sexually abusive, where we see Dave as a danger in the community setting. In such a circumstance, I think it might be a consideration to bar him from the actual premises, unless he had some kind of supervision or, or whatever. But here, where there's a situation where somebody is maybe reviled by some members of the community, and by others seeing like, well, hey, you know, he's a Jew and he needs to be counted as a minion, should he be allowed to come in? Uh, I think in these kinds of circumstances, what I've mostly seen is where the person is allowed to come and function as a member of the general community, to come and daven, etc., but not given honors. Hmm. How long should David Brown's purgatory last? Or is there a time limit? Well, when something happens in the legal system, we do need to work in cooperation with that. So if a person serves a prison sentence or some kind of sentence and they finish that, I think it's very important for the rabbi and the community to work together to figure out some kind of way where that person, assuming they're coming back to the community, can integrate back into the community in some kind of way that works for the, um, the person who committed the offense and his or her family. It's really important to model that people make mistakes and can do tshuva can do repentance, can make amends, whether it's monetary, whether it's service, whether it's personal apology, whatever it is, uh, we do need to help people to resume their lives. There may be times when it is really advisable for a person and his or her family to move to another community, but really can't get into that in this short podcast. And is there ever a danger of pushing the shame so far that the person is in danger of, let's say, self-harm? Suicide. I do think that can happen, uh, and it certainly it certainly does happen, um, where it's been very clear from suicide notes or whatever that the person couldn't stand their shame. I don't think that the community or the rabbi can be entirely responsible for that. Mm -hmm. I think what we can do is the best that we can do is to let that person know that we believe in repentance, that we believe that there's some kind of way back and to be present. I do think it's important for the rabbi to visit the congregant in prison, to stay connected to the family, to help moderate community reaction. And it's a very hard thing to do because sometimes these crimes can be incredibly offensive and horrible. Um, but I do think it's important to let the person know that they still have value as a human being. They too are created in the image of God. That's right. Their, That's right. Their sin. That's right. We'd like to invite our listeners to give us feedback about this podcast or any other of our podcasts in this series. So please do write, um, send your email to M.E. Friedman, as in Michelle Esther Friedman, Friedman being F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N, at ycTorah.org. Shabbat Shalom.